The secret is out. Phoenix is a great food and beverage city. Whether you've just moved here or are a Valley native, new bars and restaurants are yours to discover. Metro Phoenix is home to 21 James Beard Award winners, finalists, or nominees. That's basically the Oscars of the food world. And according to the Spirited Awards, which is the same but for cocktails, this year downtown Phoenix has the best cocktail bar in the United States. While recognition in the past few years has certainly increased, Arizona always has had excellent eateries and chefs serving up unforgettable dishes. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com about Metro Phoenix and beyond. I'm producer Amanda Luberto, and today I'm sitting down with two dining and nightlife experts, Felicia Campbell and Bahar Anushar, to dish on the state's historic bars and restaurants and which modern establishments could stand the test of time. I'm Felicia Campbell. I'm the dining and nightlife editor. I've been in food media for about 15 years. Hi, I am Bahar Anushar. I am the dining and nightlife reporter. I started writing about food at least, I would say about like 10 years ago, and I started writing about chocolate. That's how it all got started. And I can write about chocolate forever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> If you were to suggest a historic restaurant to somebody, where would you send them? Well, I feel like historic restaurant recommendations always come with a huge caveat. Historic restaurants are sometimes conflated with the best restaurants, and they're not. They're two different things. They serve two different purposes. Historic restaurants, they can be time capsules, or they tell the story of a city in transition or represent a very pivotal moment. And they're a really cool entry point into that. However, it's not always the best food or the best representation of what our city has to offer in that way. So for example, there's probably no more iconic restaurant in downtown than Durant's. I mean, windowless, rat pack vibes. I would tell people go there for a martini, a big giant martini, and then go somewhere else for dinner. But sometimes there are places that can kind of deliver both, but it's going to be in a really uniquely Phoenix way. And Bahar recently wrote about a really great example of that. It's a restaurant that people have been going to for decades. And while some would argue, oh, it's not a particular traditional style of Mexican food, it has kind of developed its own style based around Phoenix culture. And it's super beloved. And so if you want that neighborhood immersive experience, you're going to want to go to Rosita's place, which I think Bahar can talk a little bit more about that and why you decided to write about them in the first place. 
Yeah, so I was just driving by close to my house, basically on my way to work, and I would see this like pink sign that said, you know, Rosita's place on it. And then I paid attention one time, and it said since 1964. And I'm like, wait a second. So we have this old restaurant, and people haven't talked about it too much. I mean, I went in, and the food. Felt like a home cooked meal. That's what it felt like. So I decided to talk to the owner, and she said that her family started this restaurant in 1964. But even before that, like she has a map of Phoenix that's dated 1947 on the wall, and Rosita's is on there. And so it's been here for a long time. It's moved around a few times, but now it's on 24th and McDowell, and it's this sense of. There are some people. It's a family-owned restaurant, and there are people there that have been going for three, four generations. And she's been serving. It's her, and then her kids, her grandkids. Before that, her mother, her mother and father met at the restaurant. So it's just. It's steeped in history of Phoenix, and the food. Literally, she was saying, it was. The recipes of my parents—they were not chefs. It was all about comfort food, which was fascinating because that's exactly what they delivered. That's exactly how I felt when I ate the food. When I was standing there in 116-degree weather, I would say there were repeat customers coming, and they're like, "We've been coming here for 30 years. We've been coming here for whatever years." There's a letter on the wall of someone who says, "I retired and left Phoenix, but every time I come back, I have to have the menudo." It's that like people have their favorites. They have great chips there. You know, you start to find your favorite food there, and you have people from politicians who go there, to like whoever, someone who's like fixing your yard. Doesn't matter. Everyone like shows up at Rosita's. I know you've also done cocktail bars recently.、Mm-hmm. What have been some highlights that you were like really impressed by, maybe unexpectedly? Of course. So I think one of the ones that comes to my mind, just because I worked on it because I was interested in it, was Bitter and Twisted. This is not a historic in a sense that it's been here forever and ever, but it is making history. It is changing history in a way. And the way that it happened is that Ross Simon, who was the owner, ended up working at this—they call it like London Association of Bartenders. So it's this cocktail bar in London. We're talking like 1999, 2000, about that time. He starts working there, and he learns certain techniques. This is a cutting-edge bar, so he starts to like learn some techniques there. And they're the first that are using like. Fresh juices and you know fresh herbs, and so he loves this. So instead of leaving and going to California or New York, he leaves and comes to Phoenix. This is 2005, and he wants to open his own bar. This is what all the bartenders did who left, right? They went to Las Vegas. They went to big cities. So he comes here, and he turns out he's way ahead of his time, <laughs> you know. And this is the time that Phoenix. In general, actually, there was like a cocktail renaissance. So we're talking between like 2004 to 2019. There was a cocktail renaissance happening everywhere, but we were just kind of like still catching up. So he pitches this concept to a thousand different investors, and they're all like, 
eh, this doesn't make sense. It's just too much. It's too complicated. We can't do it. Yeah. So he had to change the culture, and that's what we were talking about in terms of making history. He had to change the culture by getting involved with the Phoenix Bartenders Guild, starting the Arizona Cocktail Weekend. So he basically starts to just educate people on this stuff, right? And as he's working, he's bringing people he knows from London to give talks and stuff like that. And finally, we're talking 2014 by the time he opens his bar. So he goes back a second time to one of the people who turned him down. And he's like, all right, I'm doing this concept. And now he gets a yes. And he was saying, do not get discouraged like by getting no's. But now he's made it such that people who want to open a cocktail bar, now that investment makes sense, right? So now it's easier to get people investing in you. But he had to make the change. He's sort of like the Chris Bianco of cocktails. There you oh go. my gosh, that's, <laughs> that's such a great, great way of putting it. Because, yeah, <laughs> this, is a, this is a serious cocktail city now. Yes. And so I guess you could do your own little timeline bar crawl here. Start at Durant's, get a classic martini, then go to, you know, Bitter and Twisted. And then we've got people who are taking that and kind of elevating it and moving it forward even more at places like Quartz Bar recently open and they're really doing some inventive things with mixology and pushing pushing the limits. So I always say you're guaranteed to have an interesting drink. I can't guarantee you'll love it. Some are great. Some you love, some you won't, but you will not be bored. In your research of these historic restaurants, which one did you go to? We're like, oh, I wasn't expecting this meal that I ended up having was amazing. You know what? It's not a place in Phoenix. It's a place in Prescott. That's fine. Um, The Palace Saloon, which I guess is the oldest restaurant in Arizona. And I walked in and there was like people dressed up as cowboys with like a gun on their hip. And I was like, this is going to be so kitschy. This is just silly. And I'm here for it. I like some kitsch. But I had zero expectations for the food. And I mean, it wasn't like mind blowing gastronomy, but it was good. I was super satisfied. I had a lovely drink. I had a great sandwich. Um, I loved having just a wonderful experience, which I feel like is exactly what you want from a historic restaurant. As long as food is good. It doesn't have to be innovative, and maybe it shouldn't be, because you're kind of wanting some classic flavors in a classic environment. So that one surprised me. And then Andrioli's, which again, it's not hundreds of years old, but it is one of the older Italian restaurants and grocers in Scottsdale, family run. The man is still behind the counter every day, and he does not mess with the classics. Like, you go there, and you get some classic Italian food made the Italian way, and there's just something very satisfying about that and really comforting. So I would say those two were, like, the most pleasant surprises. We're not a very old state, so it's hard to have these quote-unquote historic restaurants when you're in the West Coast. But 80, 90 years, still historic. What are some of the oldest places you guys have been to that have really stood out? Maybe the stockyards. Oh, Um, that's true. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, those dining rooms, it's supposedly haunted, which I mean, always a plus. The beautiful banquets, it looks historic. It feels historic. 
And the food, I mean, it's a steakhouse. What can you do to a steak? Not much. You cook it. It's fine. It's good. The sides are typical steakhouse sides. The nice thing about it is it's not prohibitively expensive either. It's not inexpensive, but it's a lot more approachable than like Steak 44 or some of the places you might go out in Scottsdale. It has kind of that old world panache. I'm a sweet person, so I have to talk about that. But there's a place uh, in Scottsdale. The, the Sugar Bowl? The Sugar Bowl. So that's another one that I would have to say this, that for me, the surprising part was the desserts are surprisingly huge. So you can probably like have a dessert and have it count as like your meal. Basically, those are meal sized desserts. But that was kind of fun for me, too, because, you know, when you walk in, it's just this like diner feel and it's almost like a scene from movies, you know, and the desserts there are huge. You can get savory food, but I mean, it's basically just stands out for its desserts. So I had to sort of bring that up as well. That's one of the ones. What do you like to get when you're there? Well, I mean, I've tried their banana split and that's the one that I'm like, it was so big, but it was delicious and it's just topped with all these toppings, you know, and sauce and, you know, huge scoops of ice cream. So yeah, it's, it's just fun. If you were going to send somebody from out of town to like one historic place, I feel like the only right choice would be Fry Bread House. And that also is not that old. It opened in the 90s, but that's, you know, older for us. But I feel like of all the things to walk away from Phoenix having experienced that very like complicated history of Fry Bread, but to experience that in a small cafe that's been family run for, you know, now on its second generation, that kind of tells a very real story about Phoenix. And it's very unique to Arizona, I feel. Yeah, mm-hmm. you wouldn't find it many other places, mm-hmm. maybe New Mexico, but that is pretty distinctly Arizona because we have such a long and deep DNA history here. Yeah. So part of Value 101 is that we have a lot of listeners who just moved here. You get to Phoenix, you're looking around, you're like, what is going on in this city? And either it is, what is that over there that's really interesting? Or I've been hearing about this thing. What is this? And then we try to figure it out for them. Yeah. And somebody messaged in and they said, I've just moved here. I'm from back east. Everything is super historic here. Everything is really new in Phoenix. Where are historic restaurants? And I think that you guys hit on a really good point that it isn't necessarily the high dining places that have stuck around. A restaurant I always think of is Macayo's. Yes. Been here forever and ever. Do you think that there is a difference between having like these high end restaurants or like these more mom and pop shops? Do you think one has more value over the other or? I think they're both important, but I think you can expect a better meal at the mom and pop shops for sure. And Makayos is such a great example, although they're a little different because they've expanded so much. Mm-hmm. There's a Makayos on every corner. So it, it loses a little bit of that like family feel. But any of the mom and pops, they still care. It's still in the family. The food still matters. They can't just rest on the beautiful decor. 
And so to that point, Mrs. White's Golden Roll Cafe in downtown, I mean, one of the most highly regarded Black-owned restaurants in the city that has been around since, I believe, it's either the 50s or the 60s. The family is still there making food the way they have this whole time. So if you want soul food, you're going to get that there. You're going to get a taste of history from the people who have been like, kind of passing on those recipes. Whereas the fine dining restaurants, it's never been about the food. It's always been about the vibe, the power brokering at Durant's, you know, probably the similar at the stockyards and places like that. So yeah, one you go for the vibe, the other you go for an interesting My favorite cocktail bar is Garden Bar Phoenix. I just love the vibe. It's a historic house that's been restored. Love the vibe there. Love the owner, Kim Hazarud, who has been steeped in the cocktail world and the beverage world. And she just has these recipes that she's had for a while. And you can kind of tell that she's been waiting to open. This was one of the conversations we had with their bar manager who said the same thing. Like, this is just waiting to like blossom, right? The cocktails are wonderful and they're pretty strong, I have to tell you. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. They don't skimp on alcohol. It's pretty good. And the presentation. So they're beautiful. There's one that, you know, has a butterfly on it. It's just their beautiful, beautiful presentations as well. And she did an amazing thing incorporating the long history of that house into her bar. It's a craftsman from like the 1920s or 40s. She even researched the history of the house, reached out to the original family who owned it. And she had their big family reunion there, her opening weekend, and named a cocktail after them. It's called Kilroy Was Here, because they were the Kilroy family. And that's actually another story you can find in the dining section, just how she tried to honor all the life that happened in this home before she turned it into a bar where she could celebrate local ingredients and also work with fostering the next generation of amazing bartenders. And the drinks are soaked. So good. You know, she's done pop-ups with local fruit stands and stuff like that. So, like, she did a pop-up with Arepa Babe to do, like, a highlight, like, a Colombian food. Arepa Babe did four-course meal, basically, and they did a pairing with the beverage. So she does that to support the local chefs in the community as well. My last question is Phoenix is still growing, especially since the pandemic. I feel like 2019 to 2023, it's a completely different city. So many new restaurants, so many new cocktail bars, so many new people. People are looking at Phoenix like they've never looked at Phoenix before. With so much newness and so much turnover, of course, a lot of places had to close during that time as well. How does one stay through history here? I think it's coming in with a very clear idea of who you are as a chef, as a restaurant owner, and presenting that in a way that's very true. The places that come in and have this very maximalist aesthetic and are trying to be like the hot new thing, those places are fun and they're great. They're not going to last because they're so based on a trend rather than being based on something meaningful to the people running it. 
And that's why I feel like the restaurants that are being opened right now, especially by this kind of rising group of Mexican-American chefs, those are going to go the distance. They're coming in with a really strong perspective. They're presenting their heritage and their culture in a very fresh way that I think is uniquely Phoenix. Because we're not on a border, but we are a crossroads city. There are so many cultures and there are so many second generation people from immigrant families who are trying to renegotiate their identity in this place where it is a blank slate. So I think the restaurants that they're opening now, places like Bacanora, like Cochina Chivas, those are the places that are going to stand the test of time. Whether or not they stay in the place is another matter entirely because landlords love to raise the rent as things get nicer. And so, you know, we might see some of these new historic restaurants move around. But I think that the concepts and the names are probably going to remain, like Rosita's place. I also think quality of food and service. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that will make or break a place. You stay with what you do best, I think, and you just do it. Whatever you want to do, just keep it a good quality, and I think pay attention to service. That's what brings people back. Some people I've heard say, I don't even care, like, we're foodies, we want the food, so we're going to go there for the food. But there are some people who have said to me, if the service is bad, I'm not going back, you know, regardless of the food. So I think those are the two things that'll just keep you going. One other things I would say on behalf of the restaurants is this. A lot of us customers, we don't appreciate that some of the small restaurants prepare their food and prepare for us in terms of expecting us, prepare with their staff, with what they buy, but they do that based on what we do in terms of a reservation. So if we are making a reservation for a big group and we know it, we can't make it, it is respectful to call them ahead of time rather than canceling on the day. I just hear this is also making restaurants suffer financially so much that they're at the brink of, oh, we might have to close. The mom and pop shops still need support from us, the consumers. I would say get out of your neighborhood. We end up in these little silos because it's such a huge city. It's so spread out. And if you live in Gilbert, you might not be going to Glendale to eat, but you should. This is a city that's worth driving to have a food adventure. There are longtime restaurants and great restaurants in every single city in Metro Phoenix. So I would say get adventurous and get outside of your neighborhood. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to second that. I mean, be willing to drive 30, 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes from me, I have found this restaurant source with fabulous, fabulous like Italian food. I have found mingling grazing Chandler, sources in Gilbert, mingling grazing Chandler with great cheeses and sandwiches and things like that. And they pay homage to both husband and wife's background. She's Persian. So like you'll see little Persian touches of Persian food in there. 
And I've also driven to Peoria and we have Fabio on Fire that just opened a panini restaurant. I mean, those sandwiches are to die for. <laughs> it's just so delicious. So yeah, be willing to drive. There's a study or an article that said we all get stuck in like a three or six mile radius around our home and we just don't go anywhere else. So move out of that radius for sure. Love that. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, of course. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Valley 101. This episode was written and produced by me, Amanda Luberto, with audio assistance by Kaylee Monahan. Episode oversight by Kathy Tulamello. Thank you to the guests of this episode, Felicia and Bahar. You can read their work on azcentral.com in the dining section. Today's musical scoring came from Universal Production Music. You can support Valley 101 by subscribing to us on your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. And if you liked this episode, share it with a friend. Is there a restaurant we missed or a new great spot to grab a drink? Let us know by visiting valley101.azcentral.com. You can follow us on social media at AZC Podcasts. Valley 101 is an Arizona Republic and azcentral.com production. I'm Amanda Luberto. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.